Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. And the happiest of Halloweens to you. I have an amazing special episode geared up just for you guys. And I'm so anxious to get to it. Because tonight, we are finally exploring tales from the great outdoors. So it's on the most magical of nights. The evening when the veil is at its thinnest. The time when things begin to wither and die. The night of Samhain. All Hallows' Eve. The night of Halloween. And I thought tonight would be a great night for a special episode. And why not do a special episode on a place where a lot of our nightmares originate? The wilderness, the wild, the backcountry, the outdoors. That's right, tonight's Halloween special episode is the long-promised Outdoorsman slash Outdoorswomen special. And let me tell you, the submitters did not disappoint. So to kick off this great outdoors episode, on Halloween night no less, we begin in my state of California. This is Scott's Call. Hi, Derek. This is Scott calling again from Central California, calling for your hunter-slash-outdoorsman episode. I thought I have a good story to tell. When I was about 12 or 13, my dad decided to uh, take me hiking, and we went up to this area by this little gold rush town called Coulterville, and just below the town, uh, we parked and climbed down to a pretty neat swimming hole. It was winter time, so we didn't swim, but we climbed back up the steep hill, crossed the road, and went off into uh, just an off-trail area, kind of like an oak forest. Coulterville's a little below the pine line, um, so more like foothill trail, but like I said, no trail. So we were walking through the trees, just kind of exploring, and we came around this corner, and we saw this white coyote skull just gleaming white under this tree. And it was just in great condition. And my dad and I both said, wow, that's cool. We, let's take this thing home. So took the thing home, set it on the fence right behind my bedroom window. I thought it was really cool. Showed my friends. And uh, shortly after that, the bad dreams started. I started having these terrible nightmares where I would see the coyote skull in the dark and it would just be laughing this 
deep baritone laugh and like a ha 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 and just just really scary and uh got to a point to where i did not like the coyote skull anymore and i always kept my drapes pulled in my bedroom shade down just cause i knew that thing was out there just feet away looking in my window um anyway not too long after that i was out back and taking out the trash there was a trash can there by the fence and I went to throw something away, and I, I saw the skull in the trash can. And I thought, well, why the heck would my dad throw that away? He thought it was really cool, and uh, he hadn't said anything to, me, anything to me about it. You know, I thought he would have consulted me since, I don't know, I thought it was mine. But like I said, I didn't want it, so I was glad to see it in the garbage can. And uh, I never saw it again. And anyway, my dad's passed on now, and, and years later, I my mom and I got on the subject, and I asked somehow it came up and I asked her about it and she said my dad had also had some bad dreams about it and didn't like it and not only did he throw it away but shortly after putting it in the trash can he went took it out and drove off somewhere with it and she thinks he probably took it back up to the spot that we got it anyway thought that was a story you might be able to use over the years I've traveled some tourist areas where they tell you that you shouldn't take things or else you'll have bad luck or be cursed. And they usually have testimonials from people who write letters and return the items that they've taken. So I wonder if it was something along those lines. Anyway, thanks for uh, listening to my story. And keep up the good work. Like your podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you, Scott, for kicking things off. I hope you're safe from all the fires where you are now. As many of you probably know, our state is being ravished right now by forest fires. We've had three in our mountain in the past two weeks. One of those was this morning. We are safe, though, at least for the moment, thanks to our brave firefighters and other emergency personnel. But those closer to Los Angeles and those further north are battling the blazes right now. So if anyone out there listening can summon some rain, we sure could use your help. But for now... Back to Scott's call. I absolutely fell in love with this tale. It's almost like a story I would expect to see in the 80s anthology, Creepshow. And there's also something that Scott mentioned that I can't get out of my head. He described finding the skull as it gleaming under a tree, almost as if it was meant to be found, whatever that means. And I have to say, I'd really like to know what Scott's father dreamt about as well was his skull laughing or is it possible that its behavior was much more sinister thanks again Scott I can't say for sure that the events were paranormal in nature but I can say that I was highly entertained now our next submission was snuck in at the very last second and I thought that this call and Scott's call had a similar message so without further ado this is Jerry's call from Arizona. I just found your podcast and love it. I binge listened to five episodes over the weekend. Really enjoyed it. On the most recent, you asked for submissions for spooky outdoors. Here's one. This took place in the Phoenix, Arizona area around 1989 or 1990. I was in college. A friend and I were on break and working construction to make money for the next semester. One morning it was raining pretty steadily, and we were told to take the day off. 
He was an archaeology major and suggested we go to a nearby reservation to look for pottery pieces. We drove down to the Gila River community near a place called Snaketown. We pulled the car off to the side of a road that seemed in the middle of nowhere. We started walking around in the desert, and I told him I had no idea what to look for. I had never done it before. My friend looked down at my feet. He bent over and picked up a piece of what looked like flat mud. He said, you're looking for this. He then wiped it on his shirt to reveal some reddish paint on a tan background. I was stoked. We spent the next half hour or so gathering bits. He even showed me how to look near rabbit or snake holes through the dirt they had pushed out. Doing this, we found bits of shell bracelets, a few beads, and even a couple of bones. I don't know if the bones were human or animal, but they were old. I didn't touch the bones, but kept a few broken pieces of pottery, a few pieces of shell bracelets, and a couple of beads. When I had gathered a nice stash of things, I put them in my sweatshirt and started walking back towards the pickup to drop them off. While walking, I looked off to my left and saw a little clearing behind some creosote bushes. In the clearing, there were two or three full pots, a grass mat and low basket and some type of stick. They were just sitting there. My friend was right behind me and I know he saw them too. We hurriedly ran the last 20 or 30 yards to the truck and dropped our things and ran back to the spot. But when we got to the clearing, there was nothing there. It was just a flat bare spot between two little drainages. I walked back and forth, quickly looking around, thinking I had the wrong place. After a minute or two, my friend said to me, Are you looking for those pots? I told him I was. He said, They're effing with us. I asked who was messing with us. He said that we shouldn't be doing what we were, and that the ghosts were taunting us. He said it had happened to him before. I didn't really believe him. I had seen them plain as day. I walked back and forth a few more minutes and then gave up. I still have a few things I picked up that day, but I've never gone looking for any more, and I won't. I don't really understand what happened, but it made a major impression on me. Thanks for the show. You've got a new fan. Thanks, Jerry. Just like Scott had suggested in his call, many state and national parks and forests ask that you don't take artifacts of natural or man-made origin. Many claim that it's because bad fortune or bad luck will befall anyone that takes something home. But that said, Jerry, I think your friend might have been right. I think they might have been messing with you. Well, thank you again for sharing that call, Jerry. I grew up doing something very similar, looking for arrowheads and fields back in Ohio. And I'd always had that thought in the back of my head. What if I found an artifact that had a attachment of some kind? But for the moment, so far, so good. So thank you again, Jerry, for taking the time to share that call. Now our next submission takes us over to the East Coast. The following is the first of a few submissions from the state of Florida. This call was submitted anonymously. Hey Derek, I'm going to try to remain anonymous, as, at least as anonymous as I can, about uh, something that's happened down here in Southwest Florida. So I volunteer at a park called Correction State Park, and the history of that park is amazing in itself. And it all started with a bunch of cultists 
that tried to move down here at the beginning of the uh, uh, 1900s. The short story is there's a lot of paranormal activity here. And the reason that I'm anonymous is because the uh, state and does not want it to be known as that. But there's a lot of paranormal activity that happens here. Even um, there's past rangers that were here that had the dead files people here. And I'm going to try to get him to call in this story because that was just amazing what they did in, in this area. But as to my experience, I, uh, it was late in the winter and I was enjoying the cool weather and the shadow that I was casting as I was walking through the park was really uh, long. So I was actually looking at that as I was going through it and I saw another shadow that was human size shape in my mind rushing at me. So what I did was I spun around and I, the closest thing I can describe it to then is I felt a push on my left shoulder. So the push reminded me of back when I was taking martial arts and you would do this drill where someone would push you, say they push your left shoulder and your right arm just pops up as it's an instant reflex, you know, as you know, you, you're attacked, you know, defend, attack, defend, attack, defend, attack. And you would do this over um, and over again. And that's what happened with me. I perceived it as a threat. My right arm popped up to as in a defensive posture or, you know, attack. And there was nothing there. So immediately now I'm confused. It's like I, I, I saw something. I felt something. But there's nothing there. So I, I'm trying to process all this and, and, and make sense of it. And I looked up above. There was no eagles. There was no turkey vultures that are around in this area to create some a shadow that big. And um, that was, you know, my event. There's quite a few people that died here. There's um, a really long uh, history, and I'm going to try to get more people, like I say, to call in. Another thing with one of the rangers that the rangers told me was that one girl went into the main founder's building, and you know how a sash holds up a tapestry? Well, the, the tapestry or the curtain or whatever it was was being held up you know, by a sash. So she didn't think anything of it and she walked through it. And as soon as she walked directly past it, the sash fell on her. The, the curtain did correction and <laughs> there was no sash holding it. So something was holding it up and it came down directly on her. And that same person told me then that another time she was in that same building and her ponytail got pulled back on her. So after that happened to her, she refused to go into that building anymore. And she actually went to another park. I witnessed another event where this is that founders building is the only one that's alarmed. And all the Rangers came by one day and they're making a beeline to the building. So I knew something was up. I didn't know what. So when they're done, I asked him, hey, what's going on? And they said all the windows on the top floor were opened and it set off the alarms. 
And I'm like, okay. They're like, no, you don't get it. That whole building was secured. There was no way that those windows could have been opened. And that's what tripped the alarm was the opening of the windows. So take it for what it is. But I wanted to pass this along because the truth's the truth. And people have a right to know about everything that's going on. And that's the main reason I wanted to do it and share it. Got an awesome podcast. Love it. And I like your uh, the way you do it where you try to look for all the things instead of immediately say, ooh, that's a giant chihuahua <laughs> or whatever. All right, brother. Have a good day. Later. Thank you, caller. I thought it would be helpful to include a little history on the park. So the following clip comes courtesy of LWTC Media. Corsham was originally settled by Cyrus Reed Teed. It was built to be the new Jerusalem for his new faith, Corshanity. This philosophy was that the entire universe had existed inside one hollow sphere, that Earth was the inside wall of the sphere, and that space existed as everything inside Earth's walls. This was a fairly prosperous community, but only 11 of the original buildings still exist, including the large Founder's House, which is at the exact center of this universe. There was an intricate plan in place to design this New Jerusalem. If you compare maps of the time with the actual land and geography today, you can still see some of the canals, walkways, and gardens used 100 years ago. This site is along the Estero River, and as a result, water is plentiful. Gorgeous bridges pass over some of the man-made waterways. Now I suggest going to the show notes for this episode and watching this video. Not only are the grounds beautiful, but that model of the universe within the globe demonstration is almost as batty as the flat earth theory. Now our next call of the evening is about a giant chihuahua in the state of Georgia. Just kidding. I've actually never heard of a giant chihuahua, but I'll keep my eyes open. But it just so happens that I have another submission that describes an experience very similar to our previous caller. This is Angela's written submission. Here is a short hiking story that creeped me out. I was hiking in Silverado Canyon, California. It's a bit by Irvine Park and Black Star Canyon, but a bit more further in the canyon. A beautiful place to hike. I have hiked there tons. I even did an overnight hike. It's a popular place, but some days you'll be able to hike and not see anyone. Now, this was about six years ago. We were walking on the trail, passing a tree-filled area with a stream. My friend looked at my face, and for some reason she said, What the hell happened? Your face is white and you look freaked out. And I almost couldn't respond, because I was a bit in shock myself. She was walking next to me the entire time, and on my outside shoulder, as in the shoulder not next to her, I felt, very clearly, a hand push on my shoulder, as if someone wanted to move me. It was not strong enough to move my body, strong enough though that I would not mistake it for anything but. No trees, bushes, or rocks were near my shoulder. I was walking with that side toward an open area. As I was telling my friend about what had happened, it happened again. 
We quickly walked and half ran to the car, and I never went back. This is a place I hiked often, maybe 100 or 200 times in my lifetime, and I've never had anything like that happen before. In fact, I've always felt positive vibes there and happy feelings. But now, I'm not sure if I'll ever go back. I do miss hiking that place, though. Thanks for your time, Angela. Thank you, Angela. Perhaps it's no coincidence that we've discussed Black Star Canyon before on the show. On a recent Hometown Legends episode, a caller told of an experience he had there. It's interesting that both Angela and our previous caller explained the same shoulder push, and both while outdoors. I think I need to keep my ears open for other experiences, just like this one. Perhaps there's some sort of trend out there that we've yet to recognize. Thanks again, Angela, for taking the time to submit. Now our next installment keeps us in the Sunshine State, and weirdly stays on theme. The following is Rebecca's Call. Hello. I hope I'm not too late for the outdoors segment. My name is Rebecca, and I'm a field biologist. I've worked outside for about the past 10 years, and I've experienced, you know, all kinds of weather, good and bad, some scary extremes of weather, but this was definitely one of the weirdest things that has happened to me while working outside. Uh, It happened about... Oh, I think June or July of 2017, and I was working in northeast Florida on the salt marshes. And me and my partner were out, you know, doing our thing, and we were about 10 yards apart. And it's summer in Florida, so you got to expect thunderstorms. That's just a given down there. So we were always watchful. Like I said, we were pretty close together. And all of a sudden, while we were working, the breeze just stopped. And we both kind of looked at each other like, well, that's weird. You know, we're on the salt marshes. There's either a breeze going or it's just still the whole day. And the breeze just stopped. And we start hearing something, and it sounds like whispering, which is really weird, you know, because normally you'd hear the grass rustling and all that stuff. But like I said, the breeze stopped. And we just start hearing this whispering, just like human voices whispering. And we both look at each other, and we both have these confused, like, concerned looks on our faces. You know, like, what the hell is that? It keeps going for a second or more, and then it stops. Then we start hearing horses neighing, like upset horses. We look at each other again, like, what the hell is going on? Then that stops. And uh, the breeze immediately picks back up, and black clouds come rolling up over the tree line. And at that point, we hauled butt back to the boat and got on the boat, had to go wait out the storm on a neighboring island that had more shelter. I mean, it was one of the weirder things that has happened to me. You know, we're both scientists and rational thinkers, and yeah, it was just something we couldn't explain Now, the horses, we were close to the mainland, and there were some houses back in there, 
it's possible that those people had horses and the horses sensed the storm coming and were upset about it. But the whispering, I, I can't explain that. The houses that we were near, while they might have been close enough to hear horses from, they were nowhere near close enough for us to hear people whispering, <laughs> especially whispering, even talking. You probably couldn't hear them where we were. Like I said, it was one of the weirdest things. Like, it, it, it was exactly like whispering. Like, I don't know if you've seen Lost. You probably have. Uh, but when they would hear the whispers in Lost, it kind of sounded like that. Like, it was very strange. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few other stories that I could share, but I figured I'd share that outdoors one. All right. Love the show. Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. This tale brings back memories of some of the stories that come out of Gettysburg, the whispers, the horses. Only in Gettysburg's case, those sounds are accompanied by cannons, bugles, and drums. Now, I feel like I should mention a phenomenon known as auditory matrixing, or auditory pareidolia. Essentially, it is the human tendency to attribute meaning to random sounds. In this case, the blending of a distant breeze mixed with some distant birds could possibly recreate the horse sounds, at least in the human mind. Or perhaps tiny buzzing insects in the distance mixed with atmospheric sounds could create a sound the human brain mistakes for human voices, a sound that the brain is programmed to recognize immediately. Then again, at least in the case of Gettysburg, the sounds are captured on tape and can be heard clearly when replayed. Is that somehow an extension of pareidolia, or is it possible there was some kind of battle in those salt marshes? And like Gettysburg, when the time is right, those voices and sounds come flooding back. Thank you again, Rebecca. Pareidolia or not, I can't imagine how freaky an experience like that might have been. Now it's time to make a journey I made many times growing up. The drive from Florida to my home state of Ohio. The following was submitted anonymously from Ohio. Hi Derek. I'd like to stay anonymous because I have co-workers that listen and don't want to reveal myself. My story takes place at Whip's Ledges in Hinkley, Ohio. It was the fall of 2010. My sister was home visiting and we decided to go hike at the ledges. It's a pretty popular place for high school kids to hide from authority figures and drink beer, so there's usually some kids around. This time, the place was empty, which was unusual because it was a perfect sunny afternoon. We started by walking down into the ledges to visit some of the places that outcrop over the woods. We spent some time poking around then came to the place where there is a small cave-like feature in the base of one of the rock faces. It's not very deep and you can see the entire opening. It's definitely a spot where people congregate based on what you can find on the ground. We stopped to look in and both got a feeling of heaviness and foreboding. It felt like we were trespassing. We'd been by that particular spot hundreds of times and never had this feeling. We decided it was time to head home so we headed up the stone stairs just north of the opening. It's not uncommon to come across deer in this park, so we weren't surprised to hear brush moving as we crested the top of the ledge. 
What was standing in the woods about 25 feet away at the top of the ledge was anything but ordinary. It looked like a large, pale, brown buck, antlers and all, except it had a man's face. It didn't look angry or surprised, but almost smug, and gave off a feeling more of curiosity than the abject terror one would think you'd feel from seeing a deer with a man's face. We made eye contact for a few seconds, then he turned away into the woods. There was a sound like heavy wind, and it disappeared into a whirl of color and foliage. The best way to describe it is like a disapparation from the Harry Potter films. We were gobsmacked by what had just happened. There were no signs of it moving deeper into the woods. The area is heavily deer-browsed, so it's pretty open. I have no clue what it was. I have been an outdoorsman my whole life, and have two degrees in biological sciences. I'm curious to hear if anyone else has seen anything like it. Thanks for doing what you do. Thanks, caller. Good old Hinkley. If I remember correctly, there is, or at least used to be, a big turkey vulture roost up that way. And apparently they take it pretty seriously. It's a festival and everything. As for the creature, and I suppose we should call it that, it seems to me to be a kind of chimera which is a creature made up of two or more animals. For example, a jackalope would be a chimera. Half rabbit, half antelope. Now there are also chimeras in scientific terms, having to do with genes and cells, but let's stick to the mythological definition for the time being. Despite how strange this encounter sounds, I was able to find other first-hand encounters, although I cannot speak to their validity, that tell of the same sort of creature. I've actually linked to one of these encounters in tonight's show notes. Whatever our caller saw, it seems that he was not the only one. And full disclosure, that call was read by the talented Warren Pawn Abbott. In addition, so was Jerry's call my few calls back. Thanks to both the caller and Warren for an amazing story. Now believe it or not, we're making our way back down to Florida to hear about a strange experience in the Green Swamp. The following was submitted anonymously. Hi, Derek. This is for the outdoorsman episodes that you're looking for. I'm not technically an outdoorsman, but it happened when I was outdoors doing outdoor things. So I moved to Florida a few years ago, and I had a Sasquatch experience when I lived in Michigan. So when I moved to Florida, I joined a Sasquatch group down here. And we had gone out on one of my first night excursions it was just me and two other men. We were walking around the Green Swamp in Central Florida. We were out there. It was probably 2017. It was in the winter because it was chilly out. And it was probably like 45 degrees out. And it was probably about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. So we're walking through the swamp, this, this uh, the Green Swamp, they call it. And we're, we're on a quote-unquote trail it's a big path through the woods that's i think it used to be a road or like a maybe a logging road or some type of road that they don't use anymore so it's just covered in grass but so we're walking out there and it's me and these two other men who are quite experienced they've been doing this for a few years and this is again my first time or two out so we're out there walking in the woods in the swamp it's called the green swamp. It's not completely swamp, but you do have to cross watery areas, which made me nervous because I had, you know, just moved here and 
of course, alligators. And we had gotten way out there. I mean, we were way, way out there where there was just nobody. And it was so black, no pollution from city lights. You could see all the stars. It was, it was beautiful. But anyways, we're walking along. And again, it was chilly. And all of a sudden, we all three of us stopped because we ran into what I can only describe as a big spot of hot, sticky air, almost like walking into a sauna. And in this sticky air, it had like an, um, an electrical smell, almost like a shorting wire has that that bitter, uh, burning electric smell, had something like that. It was very strange because we could take three steps forward and we were out of it. Cool air, no smell. Three steps backwards, we're back in it. Felt like you were in a sauna and you had this weird smell. And then you could back up three steps and be out of it. And cool air, no smell. Go ahead three steps and be back in it. And it was just this one probably five foot by five foot square that was extremely hot humid air, almost wet air, I would say. And this smell, and I asked the guys, I said, this is really, I don't know what this is, do you? And he says, no. And I said, have you guys ever run across anything like this? You guys have been out here, you know, plenty of times. And they were both flabbergasted. They were like, I have never in my life experienced anything like this. And again, we were in the middle of nowhere. So there's no power lines. There's no towers with wires. There's no cell phone towers around there's I mean there's no houses there's no farms there's no equipment there's I mean there's probably no electricity in a big 10 mile circle around us so what that was and where it was coming from I have no idea but it was one of the weirdest things that has ever ever happened to me so that's my my weird outdoors encounter thanks Derek Thank you, caller. I have to say I've experienced many cold spots in my days in the outdoors. In fact, just a few weeks ago, while David Flora of Blurry Photos Podcast and I were stomping around the Enzabrego State Park for our upcoming documentary, we encountered a strange cold spot over a place called the Yaqui Well, a now dried-up oasis previously used for centuries. Now, I happened to have some equipment with me and was able to detect a 5-6 to six degree difference about a two or three foot distance. That is a noticeable difference. Despite being able to measure it, I still have no idea why it was there. As curious as that may be, it's twice as puzzling to think that the pocket our caller experienced was full of hot air instead of cold. The inclusion of the odd smell only furthers the mystery. So maybe other listeners out there have experienced something similar to this. If so, I would love to hear from you. You can give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website for more submission options. Thanks again, caller, for sharing that experience. Now, before we traverse the back half of tonight's calls, I need to breeze over a few of these announcements. Follow Monsters Among Us on social media for updates, additional content, and fun discussion. We have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget about that exclusive Facebook group. The merchandise shop is open and stocked. Visit monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the shop tab. 
maybe a nice little Christmas gift for the MAU fan in your life. I should also add that we do have past cryptid crates for sale. They make amazing gifts for any weirdo in your life. And the holiday season is fast approaching. So visit cryptocrate.etsy.com or just follow the link in tonight's show notes. And I'm finally finishing up all these bricks. So if your donation was eligible and you have not yet submitted artwork to me, please reach out to me and I'll get you the information. I'm hoping to have these carved over the next couple weeks, get a video out to you guys, and finally close the brick carving chapter. That said, I really enjoy seeing everyone's names up there. And lastly, I really enjoy doing these special episodes. So let's keep it going. Our next call to action is for first responders. Police, fire, medical, tell us your stories. When you call in, be sure to say the words first responder early in the call. That makes it so much easier for me to find. And I actually come from a family of first responders, so I'm really looking forward to hearing these experiences. All right, here's the back half. So here's the deal on these next four calls. They all four seem to have something in common. So I've decided to hold my commentary until we've heard them all. So to kick us off, we head back to the Buckeye State. This is Jake's call from the state of Ohio. Hey Derek, this is Jake from Ohio. I've called once before. I have a few more stories, but this is specifically about the outdoorsman uh, stories that you were looking for. So here's mine. It's not much, but it certainly was weird at the time. So I'm a big backpacker. I love backpacking. And I'm, I'm from Ohio, by the way. And we went, my buddy and I went to um, Zaleski State Park. And in Zaleski State Park, it's kind of like a hub for uh, ghost sightings. There's the Moonville Tunnel. Uh, if you've heard of that being from Southeast Ohio, you probably have heard of that a bunch. Well familiar with the Portal to Hell legends and all the ghost sightings there and everything. I didn't see any of that, but my buddy and I hiked out. This was New Year's Eve of last year, so 2018. We were out there for two days and we stayed out there for one night. So on the one night that we were camping out there, we went, we hiked, weather was fine, it was really nice, a little wet, but we were okay. My buddy and I get into camp around six o'clock and it's starting to get dark, so we make dinner, you know, everything that you would need to do for a camp, make dinner, make some coffee, get all our water set up, all our tents, and then we're sitting around our fire, we were smoking some pipes, not anything but tobacco, it was uh, just pipe tobacco and corn cob pipes, like we always do when we go camping, drinking coffee and reading our books. And uh, these two guys come into our camp because there was another spot with a fire ring up about maybe 400 feet away from our campsite. So there was two campsites in this location. And two guys, they seemed very normal. I didn't notice anything odd about them, anything off. And they went to that campsite. We said, hi, you know, how was the trip? And I don't remember exactly what we said, but they struck me as totally normal. And then it gets dark. I go to sleep around 8, right when it got dark, and I wake up at around 10, and I hear this just knocking. Like, it sounded exactly like tree knocking. And I 
wasn't sure what it was. I, I still to this day don't know exactly what it was, but it went on for about half an hour. Just every few seconds, I'd hear one solid knock of wood on wood. And this was in the middle of the night. It was very, very dark. And it sounded like it was coming from their campsite. And I, my buddy and I both heard it. We talked about it in the morning. Those guys were not there when we woke up. We woke up pretty early, right around when the sun came up. And they weren't there. There was no sign that they had camped there. There was no fire. There was nothing. And they were not there. And, uh, yeah, we were just trying to run, you know, run the situation back in our heads and see what could make that knocking noise unless they were just sitting there knocking on wood. We said maybe they were chopping wood, but that didn't make sense since there was no chopped wood and no fire. Um, and also chopping wood with an axe at night is not a good idea in pitch black. So I don't know. I know Bigfoots do wood knocking. I've never heard of wood knocking in any other situation, but that's definitely what I heard. And the fact that they were gone doesn't necessarily mean anything paranormal was going on, but that combined with the knocking, combined with it being in the middle of the night and out in the woods and in a place where the veil is very thin, it's very, you know, paranormally themed out there. It just made for a sort of a creepy and intriguing experience. So I hope that this story can benefit you for your outdoorsman episode. I know it's not nothing too crazy, but it definitely was strange, and I'd like to hear some uh, some opinions about it. So uh, thanks for the podcast. I really love it. I've been listening to it for over a year now. It's still my favorite. It's uh, modern-day coast-to-coast, and you really provide a lot of content for people like us who are interested in these topics. So thanks again, and I'll uh, call back with some more stories eventually. Thank you, Jake. Now, we head west. The Pacific Northwest, to be exact. The following was submitted by Shane. Hey, Derek. I've been listening to this show for a couple months now. Really like it. My story is about when I was camping this June, just a couple months ago. Um, I live in Seattle, and we were camping in the mountains towards the east of the state, so sort of in the central where it's a little more dry and arid uh, near Yakima. This happened in the middle of the night, and I'm not sure if it's because I just learned about sleep paralysis in your podcast and other materials, but I feel like I, I woke up in the middle of the night, probably two in the morning, and I heard what I thought sounded like footsteps around our campground. We were near a river, lots of white noise. I heard these footsteps, and a couple seconds later, I hear these sort of chirping, but one consistent sound. Weird noise I've never heard before. Been camping plenty, don't really hunt or anything like that, but been outdoors most of my life. Never heard this sound from any animal. Could have been a bird, I guess. But I heard two of them on either side of our tent, probably 10 feet out, and I, 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 felt like I jerked out of bed and looked around. I'm not sure though. I feel like it might have been sleep paralysis, but it really I remember looking at my phone checking the time, so I'm not I'm not sure about that. But either way, it was either kind of a frightening encounter with some animal I've never been near or heard or it was something weird. Um thanks. Big fan. Have a good night. Thank you, Shane. If you haven't noticed the trend by now, I think you're about to. 
The following was submitted anonymously from the state of Arizona. Hi, Derek. I'm calling from Arizona, and this is for the outdoors men slash women segment. Not a very spooky tale, but uh, it was a little bit odd. I was hiking on the Arizona Trail. This was in the spring. I was doing a through hike at the time, and I had, you know, set up my camp for the night, and I had run into some people that, in my opinion, felt a little sketchy. You know, being a single woman hiking a trail alone, you know, I kind of tried to keep my awareness about, you know, my surroundings, and so anyway, I, I camped and kind of off the trail a little bit, and uh, I, I stopped a little bit early that night, and you know, taking some time to rest, and then I, I laid down and go to sleep, and the moon was pretty full that night, so it was really bright, and about, I don't know, must, I was probably sometime after midnight, maybe around one o'clock in the morning, I was woken up by two owls. Uh, there was one on either side of my campsite, and they would hoot, the one, the one side would hoot, you know, to the right side, and then the left would kind of answer. And then they would fly across and over my campsite and land on the other side, you know. And then this hooting would happen on the left and then the right, and then they would fly over again. And I thought it was kind of odd, and I just laid there and I was listening to this for a while, maybe 10, 15 minutes, and kind of dozing back to sleep. And, and then I heard some kind of motion in the brush. And since I had kind of had the worry about the people on the trail at the time on, you know, I, I was, I kind of like started to wake up a little bit and think like, okay, I should pay more attention to kind of what's going on out there. And, and I, I kind of like reached for my, you know, my phone and, or my, you know, I had a little emergency call thing. And, and just then I was like laying there and I'm listening and the owls are continuing to do this kind of pattern. And I, I hear that something kind of like moving really close to me in the brush and I and in my head I just get this like kind of I guess voice and just says I'm not a man and that was what I was really concerned about was a man you know coming into my campsite not really like a coyote or javelina or something so it was kind of a weird experience not not exactly spooky so much as just strange so Thank you, caller. And finally, we head back to the Pacific Northwest to hear from Michael in Oregon. Hi, Derek. My name is Michael. This is my first time calling in. So I heard that you're asking for submissions for outdoors folks, and I'm hoping you can use this one. Calling you from Southern Oregon, which is where this story takes place in October of 2017. It's about mid-October. It's almost exactly two years ago this happened. It's late at night about 10, 10.30 after dark. I'm camping out on the back 40 of a friend's property. They got some tweakers who were out there lighting fires and trying to squat. So we cleared them out and then uh, I was camping back there just being a present. Anyway, on the night the story takes place, I'm laying in bed. It's a cool night, it's a little drizzly. It's been raining pretty hard for about a week, but uh, not raining too hard that night, just a little drizzle. I'm about ready to fall asleep and I'm reading a book with my headlamp on 
and uh, off in the distance I hear clack, like the sound of a stick hitting against a tree. About two, three seconds later, about 100 degrees off counterclockwise, I hear clack. Uh, that's, and that caught my eye. The first one I noticed, second one, I paid attention and shut my headlamp off. Two, three seconds after that second clack, I hear a third one. Again, about 100 degrees off in the same counterclockwise, forming a triangle of sound around me, clack, clack, clack. And I'm sitting here thinking, what the heck am I hearing? I don't feel scared. Humans give me a certain kind of heebie-jeebie. Apex predators give me a different kind of heebie-jeebie. I've been around a mountain lion when it took down a deer. And I've seen a bear out in the wild. These things are... My body feels different than when I'm around people. And I was feeling animal fear right now. I wasn't thinking about what was around me. My fight or flight was getting kicked up. I shut my headlamp off. I grabbed my handgun. And I'm just lying there. I slowly and quietly unzip my sleeping bag in case I need to stand up and, and, and get something done. But I'm just laying there listening, trying to collect information. Anyway, about 30 seconds after the first round of clack, it happens again, only they're, they're all closer now. Clack, clack, clack. They're on all three sides of me, man, and they're forming a triangle as they come in and they're zeroing in. I'm in the center of this noise. I hear it again about 30 seconds later. And they're all even closer. And it happens again about a minute and a half later. And they're all even closer. It's giving me starting to sweat just thinking of this story. They, uh, I can feel them standing around me. There's three beings. I can feel them. I can't, I can't hear them. I don't hear anything. I don't hear the rain. I don't hear their sound. All they hear is every once in a while I'm hearing this clack, clack, clack. I realize that they can hear me, they can smell my fear, right? I realize they can smell my fear and I'm not interested in giving that off. So I start taking some deep breaths, trying to meditate and shift my head around. Next thing I know, it's the morning. I'm sitting there just trying to clear my head and calm my heart rate, take some breaths and get myself back into a more calm state of, state of mind and all of a sudden, it's daytime and that's my story. I don't have any other information than that, man. I just got zeroed in on and then I passed out and woke up and it was daytime. My sleeping bag was zipped up. My handgun was back where it had started. I know I wasn't sleeping. I know it wasn't a dream. Anyway, I hope you can use that. I don't have a whole lot of information other than that to offer you, but thanks for your show. You're doing a great job. Bye now. Thank you to all four of those callers. Now let's start off with Jake. Jake, I am familiar with Moonville, but sadly, I've yet to visit. Perhaps a live report from there on my next visit to the state is in order. I'm sure I have a couple of friends in the area that would be absolutely terrified to join me. Now the area of Zelensky State Forest and the adjacent Wayne National Forest are reported Bigfoot hotspots. Although, perhaps in that area, we should refer to the creature as a grass man. Now one detail in Jake's story that did light a fire under my imagination is the possibility that the knocking sounds may have scared off the other campers. Is that why they weren't there when they woke up in the morning? Now moving on to Shane's submission, now I'm certainly no sleep specialist, but I think if you can check the time on your phone, it's most likely that you're not suffering 
from sleep paralysis. It's not really paralysis if you're able to move around. And believe it or not, this type of activity has been reported more often than one might think, especially in the Pacific Northwest. And moving on to our anonymous caller in Arizona, I want to start out by mentioning that owls are known to be affiliated with alien abduction. Authors like Mike Cleland and Whitley Strieber write about it in their books, and the phenomenon was even featured in the major motion picture, The Fourth Kind. So couple that with the strange voice that she heard. Actually, hold up. Slip on your tinfoil hats. Is it possible that our caller is recalling the early moments of an alien abduction? Or were these owls just interested in her or her tent? Either way, I'm sure it was a freaky image to witness, especially alone at night. And lastly, Michael's story. As Michael mentioned, it's not smart to prank someone sleeping in a tent. Depending on where you are, you could find yourself with a few extra holes. And for this next bit, I need you to slide off that tinfoil hat and go ahead and slip on a Monsters Among Us hat. So we have three entities in the forest. All sound is drowned out. Then Michael experiences missing time. Is it possible that Michael's experience was less of the squatchy variety and more in line with a mirrored man encounter. Of course, it's hard for Michael to say because he did not see them. And it's impossible for me to say because I wasn't there. But what I did find interesting was the fact that I received four calls about people in tents hearing strange sounds. It has me wondering if the tent either conceals us, which allows the wildlife outside to go on as normal, or does it play with our imagination, only making it seem like something strange is going on outside? And this is actually easy for me to say. On more than one tenting excursion, I've heard footsteps outside my tent. Footsteps that I assume could only come from a human. But, like everyone else, as I peeked outside, there's never anyone there. So thank you again to all four of those callers. It was a lot of fun to run through those calls. So that leaves us with one more call for the evening. But before we begin, this collection of stories is only half of the submissions that I received. There were so many that I decided to make a two-parter. And to hear that second episode, be sure to sign up to become a Patreon supporter. Visit patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast and sign up under the $4 monthly pledge. This gives you access to that second episode, which drops next week, as well as dozens of other past episodes that I've released over the past year and a half. And remember, you can cancel at any time. So help keep the show ad-free and sign up today. Now, for that final call of the evening. This time we make our way to the show-me state, this is Christine's call from the state of Missouri. Hello, my name is Christy. I'm from Springfield, Missouri. So this is for the spooky outdoors segment. So this story isn't actually mine. It's my dad's and I made sure to call him and get the whole story in as much detail as I could before I called 
so this took place in Verona, Missouri, which is very, very tiny. Uh, if anyone is even from around there or even close, you will understand it's very, very, very tiny. It's backwoods and tiny. My dad is a avid coon hunter. I mean, it takes up all of his time. He owns his own logging business, so he can basically go every single night. Uh, that's that's just his thing. I don't know how many of you have been coon hunting. It is basically you have hunting dogs, hound dogs, you know, the really loud kind, and you get probably about three or four of them. You put them in the bed of your truck in a dog box, and you drive to, you know, property of people that you know or that you own or land or however, and um, you let the dogs go the dogs have trackers on the collars so that you can kind of track them on this kind of like computer screen and you let them go so you just let the dogs go and you kind of hang out for a little bit you know in the pitch black you know raccoons obviously they come out at night so you kind of hang with some buddies or maybe you're by yourself whatever the case is and i I think my dad was with someone this that night. I'd have to call back, but I'm pretty sure he said he was with someone that night, but they were in their own. Yeah, so they were in their own vehicle, kind of on the other side of the field. So if you do know Verona or just any southern Missouri um, backwoods areas, just vast, you know, vast tree lines and then fields for cattle, grazing, etc. Anyway, so this particular night, my dad stopped, and this was in Verona, where he lived, and this was a friend of his who let him use his land. You know, coons, they're just, it's really not a big deal. You know, he said, yeah, just go in there up night, you know, and, and uh, you're free to roam, you know. So my dad gets there, just kind of pulls off the side of the road. He lets his dogs out. You know, they're just kind of feverish after you let them out. They just take off. You know, they're looking for coons, and they're going towards the tree line, so in that particular instance, my dad lets them go, and they're passing this big pasture. I'd say, I'd say about two or so acres to get to the tree line, which is where the coons are usually at in the trees. So he lets them go. He sits on the dog box, which is usually in the back of the truck. You know, he, knowing my dad, probably drank a few beers or was walkie-talking his friend, and you just wait right? You just sit on there and you hang out and you wait. And the dogs, what they do is called treeing. And what they do is they start barking, but loudly, like that hound dog. Uh, It's called treeing, right? So you'll hear a whole bunch of dogs or one or however many you have, and they're just barking and barking. And you can hear it really far away. I don't know if you've ever heard a hound dog, but it's it's loud, you know. And what that means is that they have a coon up in the tree uh, ready for you to, you know, do your business and whatnot. So my dad, he gets out of his, the back of his truck and he uh, heads his way through, like I said, the few acres of pasture that you have to get through to get to the tree line. So this is probably... When coon season starts, the grass is probably pretty high. If you don't have cattle in it, I think he said it was about knee length, maybe a little higher. So he's kind of just walking through this this, this grass field, this hay field. 
and it, it takes a while. You know, again, I don't know if anyone knows anything about coon hunting, but you have these ultra, ultra, ultra bright lights. I mean, they are, they're spotlights essentially, and, and they're just very, very bright. And then that comes into play in just a little bit. He radios his friend and he says, hey, those dogs treed and I'm going to go over there, see if they've got a coon, shoot it, take it home. So he's walking through the, through the field and he says, you know, I all of a sudden kind of heard something behind me, but kind of far away, just kind of kowtowing behind him, you know, just kind of my dad would walk, he, he would hear a few steps and, you know, my dad... It, if you're around there, you understand that there's wildlife, you know, so I don't think he's stressed about it too awful quick. In fact, the way that he tells it, he says, crap, I bet that guy that I asked to use his land, I bet he forgot to put his bull up because apparently he had had a separated bull in one of his fields or in an area of his field. And, you know, my dad was thinking, crap he probably got it wrong he probably thought i was going to be in the north and i'm in the south and he put his bull in here instead of the other one so he kind of started to get a, a little stressed out but you know he's used to it so he probably just thought if i go on my business it's not going to bother me any he kind of keeps walking it takes a while to get a few acres away um towards this tree line so the dogs are just barking, barking, and they are trained to bark and bark until basically until the coon's dead. So he's walking and, and he's just like, gosh, whatever's behind me is just keeping up with my pace. And that definitely sounds like it's probably a bull following him, you know, trying to keep up with the situation that he's in, sniffing him out and everything. So this is when it kind of starts to make my dad nervous, you know, because, I mean, you just don't really want to tangle with, with anything like that. He's told himself if this thing keeps following him, he's going to just blast it with his light, which it's pitch black out there, pitch black in the middle of fields and woods. There's there's nothing. There's no overhead light. There's nothing. There's no, no houses or anything. So he's kind of left to his own devices. So he, he says he walks a little bit further, and this thing kind of starts to flank him is what the way he puts it which means it kind of starts to walk to his right so if he's walking north it's starting to come up on um the east side of him and that kind of freaks him out because that's not something a bull would do and if you know anything about southern missouri you'll know that there are druggies or just kind of your not so good local flavor and he just thought, man, I'm going to be robbed, which happens plenty to coon hunters because they've got expensive equipment, right? So anyway, he notices it try to come to his side and he thinks, well, they're trying to get in front of me, um, which is scary business. So he's like, all right, now I'm <laughs> starting to get pissed off. So he yells at him, whoever's out there, you better knock it off. You know, I've got a gun. I talked to the guy. I'm here legally just back off and he says whatever was walking just stopped and that freaked him out a little bit but he said I bet you it was that stupid bull he walks a little bit further a little bit further and then suddenly he says that this thing just takes off running towards him he said it, it was probably about 500 feet away he could hear which you can hear that far away in a, in a field you know he says it, it sounded like it just dead 
sprinted towards him. And it was definitely, in his words, definitely bipedal, I guess is the word, not on four. I mean, you can hear a bull, you know, puffing and it's puffing and it's, it's snorting at you and sounding pissed off. He said this thing just took off like a bat out of hell towards him. So my dad grabs his light first off and he says he turns it on and just shines it straight to the right of him, which it would have been his east, but he's now facing east. And he says there is just a person standing there about 100 feet away. He said it was hard to make out any specific details. He just said that they were wearing, a. it looked like a white or cream colored shirt and that their hair was kind of brown, but it was real. It was more like blackish brown and it was very, very, very hard to see. But what he said, he knew he needed to be really worried is when he turned his spotlight on, which recall back to what I said, that it, they, are, they are so bright. They are, it is like a train light pointing at your face. He said this guy didn't blink didn't move a muscle just looked at him and he said he could just see the lines on his face were just very furrowed he said this guy looked so mad at my dad that he was just almost scowling at my dad from far away he said that's how prominent the features were of of the face that he was making he said it was almost like a snarl probably isn't the word obviously but it just looked like this guy was up to absolutely no good just terrible looking and not blinking at all he said not once did that guy blink with my dad's bright bright light in his face and um you know from the words of my dad which i I would assume to be true because he's kind of a roughneck. He really is the toughest person I know. And I think he has had run-ins with people before. So anyway, he said, you come near me, you SOB, I'm going to pop one off in you. And if you know, again, I'm sorry, anything about coon hunting, you use rifles, you know, some something big. Maybe, I wouldn't say a 308, but a larger caliber rifle. And I, I don't think he ever pointed it at him. I'd have to ask that question. So I don't know if there was a reaction along that line. But I guarantee my dad had said something about, you know, I'm armed. And he just said nothing, nothing has scared him in his life more. And this is an Air Force dad, you know, in Desert Storm and everything. He said nothing made him feel more uneasy in his life than seeing the look on that guy's face. He said it just looked almost this is why i think it it fits into your podcast particularly he said it looked absolutely 100 percent not human he said that the face on this guy looked just almost i think distort or contorted maybe that's the word just so angry like a rabid animal just so angry in his face and and he was barreling towards my dad in the middle of the night the dark uh, and, and my dad, I mean, he still gets so uh, heated when he tells the story because he has no clue what would have happened if maybe he didn't pull his light quick enough or if, God forbid, he was out there training um, a dog and you usually don't bring your gun. You just let the your older dogs train your dog by letting them tree, teaching him how to tree. And, you know, he wouldn't have brought a gun. I mean, what? could have possibly happened if my dad was out there just training a dog and that 
thing would have been out there going after him. And uh, what's kind of interesting too um, about that area is in, I know exactly where he went hunting and there's an old family farm out there. Uh, and if you guys are from Verona, you'll know exactly where I'm talking about. You might even know who I'm talking about, but there's a, uh, uh, even a slave quarter area in the back where um, there are slave graveyards. And uh, he did say that the thing, I don't even know if I call it a person, was was white. But I mean, he did say it looked a little old dressed, kind of like, like a creamish colored loose shirt, you know, short sleeve shirt. So again, I don't know, it could have been a messed out psycho. But my dad said there's no way anyone alive would have not blinked to that light. And then I, I think after that, I, I don't really know how it ends. I think uh, I'm guessing he just went on his way or he radioed his friend or something. I should have asked the end. But either way, he's obviously made it out alive and he has never had any issues since. And I do know for a fact he's gone back into that field and hasn't had any issues. So uh, I think he has a backup to that story with his friend. So I'd, I'd be interested in hearing his side of view with it because I think they radioed through the whole thing. Thanks for letting me tell my story. I'd love to kind of go back and hear some other stuff that you have on your podcast. I really appreciate it. And I hope this one gets played because that'd be cool to hear. So take care. Thank you. Thank you, Christy. My close neighbor growing up was also an avid raccoon hunter. In fact, I even tagged along a few times. And I must say, it is a gruesome affair. I really enjoyed tromping through the wooded hillsides with my flashlight. I felt like a Goonie or some other Spielberg character. But the actual hunting part, well, that's another story. But it was an experience that my neighbor Frank had while he was out there, alone, that I want to end on. You see, Frank used to go out with his son Kenny. Well, Kenny is nearly my age and long grown and left the house some 20 years ago. So these days, he goes out alone. And Frank told my dad this story not ten years ago, and my dad relayed it to me. He was out hunting in Noble County, Ohio, Ohio's youngest and least populated county. His dog picked up a scent that took him over a far ridge, a mile or two from the truck and likely any road. They tracked something under a deep grove of rose bushes or some other bramble, but as the dogs approached, he knew something was different. He knew this wasn't a raccoon. His dogs began to whimper, and that's when the creature under the brush began to scream. That is when Frank said every hair on his body stood up. The dogs tucked tail and ran, leaving Frank holding a single-shot twenty-two rifle and a dimming hunting light. He claimed that the screams he heard were unlike anything else he'd ever heard in his 50-some years in that part of Ohio. A loud, low growl. He hesitantly suggested it sounded like a, quote, damn werewolf. You have to understand, Frank was a farmer, a woodsman, an outdoorsman. He taught me a lot about what I know of the forest. He knows the woods. The fact that this thing not only scared his dogs, but him as well, is enough to convince me that something extraordinary crossed Frank's path that night. Eventually, he followed his dog's lead and took off as well. And Dad told me he gave up hunting 
at least for a while, and to this day, I still don't know if he's picked it back up again. So Christy, I'm not sure what this could have been. Someone on bath salts, perhaps. This does sound eerily similar to the Florida attacks from ten or so years ago. Or could it have been some sort of prank, and the pranker simply didn't understand the severity of the situation? Or is it what it sounds like, and frankly what I would expect to hear on a night like tonight, the night of Halloween? Of course, the monster that I tease is the rotting, ravenous, zombie. Thanks again, Christy, for your call. This was a fun little adventure, and I hope that you've been sucked in as a listener. And that's going to do it for this special episode. If I've somehow missed your call, I am incredibly sorry. I did my best to perform an extensive search to find each and every outdoors call. But if I happen to miss one, don't worry. We'll just toss it into general population and it'll be played eventually. And before I go, one last note. If you're looking to adopt a pet in the near future, please consider adopting an all-black cat or dog. Sadly, they are much less likely to be adopted than their colorful counterparts, due in part to negative stigmas and the difficulty in photographing them. But as a pet parent to two black cats, I can tell you, they have just as much love to give as any colorful animal. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Pon Abbott, Addie Lloyd, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Not terrifying music that you hear. That's Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. For those that don't know, if you stick around to the end, you get to hear a bonus submission. And tonight, since you stuck around, you get to hear two. The first of which comes to us from the Cowboy State. The following is Jake's Call from Wyoming. Hey Derek, it's Jake from Northwest Wyoming. I was listening to your truckers' stories and you mentioned looking for outdoorsmen hunter stories. I have a story I've been thinking about calling into your show, and I feel like it's time, so here goes. Around July 2009, a friend and I went desert camping for the night. We called ourselves Desert Rats because we spent all of our free time out where we were going camping. We both get off work around the same time, and around 1700, we meet up and head out. 
We hike out to where we wanted to camp and set up our tents and fire pit. By the time we finished, it was getting dark. If you've ever been out in this part of the world, one thing you'll notice is how amazing the stars look. I could stare at them for hours. We chit-chat and just relax for a few hours and eventually decide to pass out. Might I add, we always go out hiking with our rifles and handguns because we're both avid shooters and enjoy the hobby. I fell asleep as soon as I laid down, around 2300. The fire had gone out, so it was pitch black outside, aside from the moon and stars. Next thing I know, I'm jarred awake by my tent being lit up like someone drove up to us and was pointing the vehicle at our tents. I grab my rifle and reach to unzip my tent. The second I start to unzip my tent, the light disappeared. So hurriedly, I open the tent and frantically look for a car or vehicle. But there was nothing. I go to wake up my friend and ask him what the hell just happened, but he was snoring and fast asleep. There isn't a way for a vehicle to drive up to where we were and not be heard, let alone get away that quick. I eventually woke up my friend and let him know what happened, and he just laughed and went back to sleep. Needless to say, I didn't sleep a wink that night. Thanks for everything, Derek. Your podcast is a breath of fresh air. Thank you, Jake. Now, the only thing that kind of comes to mind here is that perhaps it was some sort of meteor that was entering the Earth's atmosphere. If you've ever seen one of those things, they can get quite bright. Now for the second submission. This one, a written submission. The following comes to us from Matt in Pennsylvania. Hey Derek, I'm from just outside of Allentown, Pennsylvania. I've lived here my entire life. And one of my favorite hobbies is fishing, especially night fishing for large carp and catfish. One particular night, a friend and I decided to take a short trip to Easton, Pennsylvania to get a line wet in the Delaware River. Now this spot took some walking to get to. You had to park near a sanitation plant, cross the road into the woods where there was a narrow bridge which allowed you to cross over an old canal. On the other side was a towpath which is all loose gravel, the kind you cannot walk on quietly. Anyway, we got to the towpath and headed toward the spot to drop down to the riverbank. It was a nice, quiet evening. Sun was starting to set, and our timing was perfect. As we got closer, we noticed a tree was down blocking the towpath and extending about three quarters across the canal. This wouldn't have been an issue if it was just the trunk and not the whole tree. So we slowly had to weave ourselves and our equipment and chairs through the tree branches. As you can imagine, it took a few minutes, but we made it and got down to our spot and began setting up for the night of hopefully catching big fish. Now, like I said, the towpath was gravel and noisy. We just finished setting up and we heard the sounds of bicycle tires on the path. No biggie, as you can freely use it for walking, biking, whatever. But that tree was up there. We looked at each other and said, well, this will be interesting, as we watched for the bicyclist to get closer. We never actually completely saw him, just movement through the leaves. But something odd happened. As they approached the tree, the sounds of the wheels on the gravel never hesitated and kept going. We stared at each other in disbelief of what we thought we just witnessed. It was like they passed right through the tree. It took us minutes to get our gear through, yet this bike didn't even break stride. I'm not saying it was a phantom biker, but that's the only thing I can think of. We spent the rest of the night with a creepy feeling, 
and we watched over our shoulders when we finally called it a night and walked back to our trucks. I have many other stories that I'll be submitting soon. Keep up the great work. Matt. Well, thank you, Matt. My only thought here is that possibly the biker saw the tree and instead of coming to a stop, just simply did a quick U-turn and went back the way he came. That would allow you to continuously hear the sound without the biker stopping. But honestly, that's about the only thing I can think of. Either way, thank you so much, Matt, for taking the time to share. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a happy Halloween and have a great night.